0: Welcome to this week's episode of the Executive Athletes podcast, and I want to thank every, or I want to thank everyone that has been listening, and thank you for the comments and the feedback. They are a tremendous help in this journey to making this podcast better and better each episode. And once again, this is unscripted and unedited, and I believe it's the best way to really get to know our guest. And this week we have a new twist. Um, this is our first sponsor, so it's pretty exciting. So this episode is sponsored by Vitargo. And you need to check them out at Vitargo.com. But Vitargo is a revolutionary source of energy used by Olympians, elite athletes, and millions of people striving to improve their exercise performance, health, and and well-being. And Vitargo is the fastest body fuel, allowing everyone to fully fuel training, yet feel empty enough to train. That's a big issue a lot of athletes have, is having their stomachs full before they go out. So you can train with Vitargo again in that day, and, or excuse me, train with Vitargo again and then have same-day recovery, and nothing else ever comes close. And we've arranged for the listeners to use a special code at Vitargo.com, and it's going to be 20% off your first order with free shipping and 100% money-back guarantee, and the code is POWEREAT2018. And that's all capitalized, and I will put that in the intro when I do post this. So this week's guest is an awesome guest, and I'm super excited. We're chatting a little bit before the show about exercise performance and nutrition and some of the myths, the truths, and what we need to do to become faster. So this week's guest is Dr. Susan Kleiner, and Dr. Kleiner is the owner of High Performance Nutrition which is a consulting firm in Mercer Island, Washington, where she is currently the high-performance nutrition consultant to the Seattle Storm, which is the WNBA, and the former Seattle Reign women's professional soccer, soccer team. Dr. Kleiner works professionally with several of the team members, and she has consulted with many other professional teams and team members, including the Seattle Seahawks, the Mariners, the Storm, the Thunderbirds, the Supersonics, the Cleveland Browns, and the Cavaliers, um, and has worked with countless other Olympians and athletes and from sports uh, strength training sports to multiple endurance sports. In addition, she's authored eight books, including the bestseller Power Eating, The Good Mood Diet, The Power Food Tr- Nutrition Plan. And Dr. Kleiner actually had a business venture to launch her own organization or co-founded called Vina, which is a female-centric sports nutrition brand. And now she's the director of science and communication for Vitargo. Um, Dr. Kleiner is one of the foremost nutrition authorities on eating for strength, and her power eating program has reshaped the lives of thousands. And this book is a leader in the field, and it's now in its fourth edition. Um, Like I was telling her earlier, I actually read it in college and was amazing, and I can only imagine where it's gone to now. But her credentials are second to none. She has a PhD in nutrition, is the co-founder and fellow of the International Society of Sports Nutrition, and a fellow of the American College of Nutrition. She's also a member of the American College of Sports Medicine and the National Strength and Conditioning Association. And When she's not making everyone better and faster, she enjoys you know, skiing, playing the pianos, drums, and dancing, and living in the Pacific Northwest. So, Dr. Kleiner, thank you for um, being part of this, and we'd love to hear your version of your story.
1: Ah, Ken, thanks so much. I am so pleased to be here, and no kidding about the people who have been contributing in the threads uh, below the podcast, because that's how you and I connected and there were so many good comments that I just thought, well, I think this is a pretty cool group. I can, I, as I said, I I think I can write something and not get trolled. So, <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't. So um, how I got here is um, I was a pre-Title IX girl, in fact, uh, growing up in Cleveland, Ohio. And so there really were no sports except field hockey for me. I, Fortunately, loved to dance. I was a modern dancer. I did ultimately train in New York City, and, um, but then found that I had a curious mind, went back, went to college, fell in love with science and biology, and at the same time, got really interested in food. And There was one of the original organic farmers who was next to our college. I was in the cornfields in Ohio at a college called Hiram college um 40 miles southeast of Cleveland very small liberal arts college and so I started growing food um he taught us how to how to grow organic crops and I was reading all you know the nutrition books of the day uh and um became vegetarian continued to do all kinds of sport at that point there were lots of sports I could participate in and um thought I wanted to go to medical school and instead had the, the dean of admissions of uh, the Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine say to me, you know, we'd love to have you in medical school. You're interested in health and you'll learn nothing about what you're interested in. We teach people how to treat disease. Go talk to the Department of Nutrition. So, um, you know, I I always say, listen to good guidance because for me it changed my life, it changed my path, and it was wonderful. Uh, I did go, I had no idea nutrition was a field, I thought it was just a hobby. And so I got my master's degree, I spent some time working in the hospital, became a registered dietitian, and went back as quickly as possible for my PhD. And I knew I wanted to study nutrition and exercise, which really wasn't much of a field yet. This was, at this point, about 1983. And so, my PhD is in um, nutrition and human performance, and the term sports nutrition was coined around that time. But what was so fascinating was looking for the research opportunities led me to wonder about the nutritional needs of muscle and muscle building at the time all of the research was focused on jogging and running and you know there was the cooper clinic in in texas doing all this fascinating research on exercise but all the exercise was aerobic exercise and um I had started working with a couple of guys who were riding the Ram, the Race Across America. So that was happening, but myself, I had started training with a competitive female bodybuilder and just loved it. And couldn't find anything about well, how do I eat to do this? Except magazines that clearly were not right, or I could just use drugs and forget about <laughs> eating well. And so um, I ultimately had the opportunity at the Cleveland Clinic to do research at in their sports medicine clinic with competitive male bodybuilders, uh, championship bodybuilders. And so that still stands as the largest research study on diet and anabolic steroids and the influence on cardiovascular disease risk and body composition. So that was, that was, that was the beginning of me getting into sports nutrition. And just at that time, if anybody remembers, Ben Johnson was caught uh, with a positive doping test at the Olympics. And so now it was a shocker that a sprinter was doping with anabolic steroids. And so the Cleveland Clinic announced the results of my doctoral dissertation in a national press conference. And so that really launched me into the media side of what I do. And uh, so I got to sort of, I've been able to along the way experience um, all the fun parts of the world that I work in.
0: Wow. That's that's absolutely remarkable. How did, so interesting about the steroids what did the study say did they work did they not work what effect did they have on people's health tell us some of that because that's i think that's you know, everyone's always heard about steroids i know for me like we were talking earlier but i don't know really anything of their true effects
1: well so that was the bad old days um So our subjects, so we had 17 steroid users and 18, actually, I think 18 steroid users and 17 non-steroid users. And we did have to test them all because you couldn't just trust what they told you. And they would come in with garbage bags full of drugs and supplements. And they were taking all kinds of things uh, from sort of just you know, testosterone replacers that anyone would recognize today to equipoise, which is horse steroids. And these drugs were available easily on the street. They were very cheap and they were stacking, you know, hundreds of times the replacement dose of testosterone. So they were using extraordinarily high doses. They had high androgenic effects as as well as anabolic effects. So there were you know, lots of adverse effects to using these drugs, and we were pre-drug testing in sport at that time as well. So, I mean, the conversation was only just beginning as we were doing this research, and so, our, um, so they were using a lot, and it, it couldn't compare to either the Uh, chemistry of the drugs being used today or the amounts, because over time we've learned that you don't need that much. Uh, You can be much more strategic in your cycling and the way that you use them, and they have changed the uh, sort of effective um, uh, chemistry so that they have a greater anabolic effect and less androgenic effect, so less negative side effects. But what we found at that time was that the, when they went on their steroid cycles, the first thing was that we saw a significant increase in risk for cardiovascular disease. So the HDL, which is what we call good cholesterol, dropped to almost nothing. And in fact, we had one subject with a value of zero. So, I mean, that was shocking. Nobody had ever, we were beginning to see that, but no one was documenting diet. So it was hard to know, well, did diet have anything to do with what they were doing with their drugs? And so in our study, we could separate those factors. And so when they went on their drugs, there was a dramatic drop in HDL, and the LDLs did go up. But it was it's really this difference and the loss of the protective cholesterol that is it, it, that created such a high risk so uh and then when they cycled off, it took about three to four months at least for them to return to normal and today we know that a lot of those older guys, NFL players, bodybuilders they have they, they have all either suffered cardio, cardiovascular events or died from heart attacks because this was so dangerous to cardiovascular health. Um, on the diet side, uh, what was fascinating was that they were eating, um, you know, very high intakes of protein, pounds of meat, gallons of milk, The milk was all whole milk, and so the amount of fat in their diet was very high. Um, High enough that the amounts of 100 grams or more a day, 200 grams, 300 grams, in some cases of fat a day in some of the heavyweight athletes, um, that they, if, if that was given, we'd give that as a fat absorption test to see if you were dumping it um, in, in your body. So they're very high levels of fat intake. I had athletes eating easily 5,000 calories a day, up to 9,000 calories a day for my heavyweight athletes. And so there was just, it, it was really a documentation of what were they doing. And then the fascinating part was, what was the health of these young men who didn't do any aerobic training, and we were told that aerobic training was the only health-protective kind of exercise. At that time, the American College of Sports Medicine didn't recognize strength training as exercise. So we documented that, relatively speaking, for what we would think of as an unhealthy dietary profile, they were actually fairly healthy. Um, yeah, their cholesterol levels were a little elevated, and that was a concern because they thought they were doing it healthfully by being sort of natural, not using drugs. Um, So they could have some improvement, but they had nowhere near these dramatic health outcomes that we thought people would have by eating the kind of extremely high-fat diets that they were eating. And in time, what we've learned is that strength training, weight training is amazingly protective, both for uh, carbohydrate metabolism as well as fat metabolism. And that it is now, of course, considered very important exercise, very important for the health of anyone, including an athlete. Even if you are a sprint athlete or a distance athlete, you still need to be in the weight room, both to support your sport as well as your health.
0: That's, that's fascinating. I think again, and as we all get older too, I've chatted about this is, I think strength training is more important than ever um, because it balances, helps balance everything else out and holds you together.
1: Right. Right. The um, you know, the other negative consequences were um, we did see You know, there's there to anabolic steroids. We know there's uh, skin, you know, the things that are milder, skin outbreaks, acne, it can be just on the face, it can be whole body. You can get testicular uh, diminution, meaning that your ball shrink. (laughs) Um, You can become impotent, uh, certainly um, get some emotional pinks and valleys, uh, you know, the old uh, roid rage as we used to call it. And so, um, as well as the, the cardiovascular consequences, there can be some carbohydrate metabolism disturbance. So there, there are a host of, you know, men, men can get gynecomastia, they can lose their hair. Um, women have a whole host of other changes in men. Most of the changes are reversible in women. Many of the changes are irreversible uh, uh, regarding reproductive system as well as the aesthetics of their of of their bodies. And so, there are lots of issues with the um, that are dangerous with the use of anabolic steroids. However, as I said today, um, you know the chemistry is is much improved over uh, nearly forty years. And um, uh, but it it is still not optimal health. Uh, for for an athlete to dope and it certainly is illegal
0: and what percentage of athletes today professional athletes or elite level athletes or olympic athletes do you believe are doping or using you know performance enhancing drugs
1: well so that's not my expertise but i can tell you they certainly are <laughs> 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 um, both from my own intimate knowledge as well as um, talking with people who are really, you know, sort of embedded in that world, in the drug testing side or the supplement testing side. Uh, and so um, we know that doping goes on, we know that, that um, even when we think the sport is clean, it isn't, there, there's too much advantage to be had and too much gain where the risks you know are count are you know people just want to win and the, and the and the gain is too big and so um you know there certainly is still doping in sport we're you know we're trying a lot uh to to minimize it because you know there's there's a lot of reasons because there really is health risk because people really do die from doping um you know, just to put it out there, I mean there is a real risk, and this really does happen. And the other is certainly when it comes to youth in sport and, and the idea that the only way you can win is if you cheat. And if and and then you're cheating your health as well. And how many young athletes are ever going to reach the pinnacle of their sport? A fraction. So what is the payoff? For putting their health at risk, uh, it's not there right. so so that's really my position in this um, because unfortunately, in our world, people cheat everywhere, you know, <laughs> not just in sport and and so um, is that just the norm today? Well, we would hope that there could be uh, you know a high road and that We competed for the joy of the competition and and the challenge, the physical challenge. But there's a lot of money in sport. And as long as there's money when you win, um, people are going to cheat. But you would hope that it could be a fair playing field and an even playing field. And it's just not. And frankly, it's never going to be. But I think it's a noble effort to try and get there.
0: Yeah, that was my next question. Do you think it ever will be? But you you answered it.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, unless there's a way that we, you know, kind of reach that point where we're in Star Trek and you can walk through the, the TSA-like scanner and know that, you know, and tell if someone's got a, a molecule in them that doesn't belong there.
0: Right, that's it. Right? No, they're ahead of, everyone's ahead of the testers anyways, right? right. Testing is right. a study of the past. It's not a study of the future.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: And bef- we were chatting beforehand um, about this, and this is fascinating, and talking about, you know, carbohydrates and the myth around carbohydrates and everyone thinking that carbohydrates are bad. I, I, and I was telling, you know, I was telling you earlier, I, I tried a couple workouts with a low-carb diet, and it was, it was awful. It was terrible. It was, you know, I lasted a day on it because I, I had no energy or no strength. And you know, what are your thoughts about carbohydrates for performance and the myth about you know carbohydrates being bad
1: so you know the body is not unidimensional right and so that's the first thing whenever you hear an answer that is black and white when it comes to biochemistry or exercise physiology that should be the first red flag that this can't be true because I I can't give you a black and white answer. So, So here's the story. Your audience are people who love the physical challenge, the athletic challenge. We're not talking to couch potatoes. If we were, I would say, well, if your goal is weight loss and you never do anything that's high intensity, you can get along pretty much with not very much carbohydrate at all. Carbohydrate is exercise fuel for high-intensity training and output. Biochemistry has not changed in all these, you know, decades. All of a sudden, things haven't changed where in muscle physiology, we can actually burn fat to do high-intensity exercise. We can't. So, Carbohydrate can be utilized in the muscle cell without oxygen available. Fat can only be utilized when oxygen is available. That takes longer. It takes longer to get the oxygen into the muscle cell. It takes longer to break down the the fat to utilize it as fuel. And so when you exercise at 75% 75% or higher of your aerobic capacity, meaning high-intensity training, meaning sprint to the finish, climb a mountain, anything, you know, lift your max rep, whatever whatever you're trying to do at, at close to max level, you can only do that with carbohydrate. So all these studies that have shown Athletes training on a keto diet or a low carbohydrate diet, they're all at 65 to 70 percent of VO2 max. Not one study has ever shown that you can accomplish athletic challenge, that you can win a race without carbohydrate on board. You just can't. And so, what you have experienced is Depleted muscle glycogen, low carbohydrate in your muscle, low carbohydrate in your bloodstream, trying to do anything harder than a moderate workout, and you fail. However, some people feel like I'm working just as hard as I always do. I'm getting a great workout. I don't need carbs. Well, in fact, what we know, what has been shown in research, is that your rate of perceived exertion, so your perception of how hard you're working will go up to a nine or 10. But if we measured your watt output, the actual work that you're doing, it's down around a five or a six. If you say a rate of perceived exertion between one and 10 with one is sitting on the couch, 10 is puke or pass out, you think you're at somewhere between eight and 10, but when we measure the work that you're doing, it's more like a five or a six. So you think you're working out really hard, but you're not. And people plateau and they don't know why am I plateauing and why why am I not getting anywhere? Well, because you don't have the carbohydrate available to fuel your training. How did this become so popular? Because Madison Avenue is really good at marketing ideas and you know, when it comes to the female athlete, there's a void of research. So Madison Avenue basically swooped in and masqueraded as sports nutrition for women and told them from the diet world, you know, information that doesn't even work in the diet world, that they should get rid of carbs. And so this is all diet world information, the weight loss industry information that has come into the sports world and been marketed. To athletes. And so when you're training and you're in your off season and you're just doing, you know, moderate levels of, of intensity training, you don't need much carb. But when you want to train hard, you want to be the fastest, you want to be the strongest, you need carbohydrate to do that.
0: Wow. No, and I think that's – so what, what would you suggest to, you know, percentages of carbo to fat to protein to, you know, the master's athlete who's pretty much this this audience? I'm sure you – know, I'm generalizing things because it's, it's different based on what sport you do if you're doing an Ironman versus doing, you know – strength training, but is there any, is there any guidelines to follow at all? Or is it more or less customized medicine or customized nutrition?
1: So everyone on set should go and pre-order my new power eating.
0: <laughs> awesome.
1: <laughs> so it come it drops September 14th, this pub date. And, um, you know, it's not just, I mean, it does focus on strength and power, but I also have quite a large Chapter on cross training, and since most of us sort of um, go through different seasons of training, um, it, it does apply to anyone doing any sport. But um, you know that. So and and I do have lots of guidance in there. I don't hold anything back, and I do have different protocols to help you design depending on where you are in your training season. Um, However, <laughs> not to keep it all a secret, um, so so some basic guidelines. Um, there's data since since this is executive athletes. It's kind of like talking to student athletes, right? You're not just athletes; you're right. also trying to use your brain during the day, and so what we know. Um, research has shown that diets that are lower than 40% of total calories from carbohydrate can be depressing, literally. I mean, they're not just depressing because you don't get to eat the stuff you like to eat. It's it's in fact can increase risk of depression, especially in depression-prone individuals. But those people who really want to use their brains a lot, all day long, the brain uses glucose as its primary fuel. Now, will it switch over? Can it use ketones? Yes, absolutely. But that is a secondary system. So for any of us who want to be at the peak of our games, why would we want to switch our whole metabolism to the secondary metabolic system? We wouldn't. We want it to stay primed. And so, um, so, so, I always say 40% of calories from carbohydrate should be your basement. Now, how you strategically place those calories, if you are also trying to manage body weight or sculpt your body, you can strategically focus those carbs at certain times during the day. So perhaps you have it depends. And if you do, you train first thing in the morning on empty, that's a really bad scenario unless you're doing just a long, slow run. Um, otherwise, you won't get a very good workout fasting. You'll feel like you are, <laughs> but you won't. And typically, someplace in the rest of your day, you either get you lose appetite control you lose sort of emotional control or you get very fatigued sometime during the day because you have overstressed your body so um and and you haven't fed it well if you want to be a real athlete you want to you never want to underfuel your training so fueling training is the number one goal in in sort of in my book so you might be able to figure out what foods can you have to eat beforehand, or frankly, this is an ideal time for Vitargo because it empties from the stomach within 10 minutes. It starts to empty within 10 minutes. So you can slam down you know, 35 grams of carb um, and in 15 minutes, 20 minutes, get out for your morning, whatever you're going to do. And you will have at least given your body a metabolic charge. Um, that it, You may need more, you may need less. I don't know. Everyone has to figure out their own need. And, um, and in the book, there is sort of a carbohydrate calculator and there's all kinds of things to figure that out. Um, but typically, most most people doing good exercise. I'm not saying elite, and I'm not saying, you know, uh, on the treadmill watching a movie. But in between, we burn usually about a gram of carbohydrate per minute. Um, that's, that's a, you know, about, So so you figure, you know, about for an hour, 60 grams of carb, 60 to 70 grams of carb for someone doing a serious workout is is about what they'll burn. You don't necessarily need to take all that in. Hopefully you've got some stored glycogen. And that's why I say about 35 to 40 grams is usually a good start for someone who normally trains fasting. Then you can you might be able to eat a really good meal afterwards. So eat that good meal, let it have carbohydrate in it so that it goes back to your muscles for recovery. Um, and then you know each time you eat during the day to have your you know good plant matter, which always has carbohydrate in it. When do you want your starch? I always like to put starch around training, either prior using Vitargo and after using Vitargo or using real whole food, using um, uh, grains, beans, potatoes, rice, uh, you know, those are all excellent carb sources and of course fruits and vegetables. So, So strategically placing your carbs during the day is important. So as I said, the basement is about 40% and then For an elite athlete, if you're doing an Ironman training, you may, depending on your total caloric intake, you may be up at 60 to 65% of your total calories from carb. I like to, you know, in Sports Nutrition today, we don't talk about percentages so much. We really talk about grams per kilogram body weight. So someone who is doing low to moderate exercise training, but they are athletic, usually needs around, oh, maybe three to five grams, three to four, three to five grams per kilogram per day. Uh, In between that, maybe about five to seven, you're doing sort of, um, you know, some high intensity training and some uh, moderate intensity training. For those athletes that are doing like ultra endurance and very high intensity training, it will go up to eight to 10 plus
0: grams
1: per kilogram body weight per day. And so, so those numbers, and now remember, I'm talking in kilograms, which means... Yeah,
0: big difference.
1: Right, so... Divided
0: by 2.2.
1: Exactly. Divided by 2.2, because I don't have the, I think very much in the metric system, sorry. So, so in the book, it's all translated into pounds for you, but, um, but just divide by 2.2 and you'll get how many kilograms you weigh. Um, That those are much more accurate numbers than percentages. No card carrying sports nutritionist or dietitian will talk to you in percentages much anymore. That's more of sort of a general population uh, communication style.
0: Mm -hmm. Interesting. And it's, and wow, that's, yeah, that's just fascinating. And so one thing I run into is when I train early in the morning, what's the best, you know, if you train at five thirty and you've slept all night, what's the best thing you can do? Do you take a drink like a Vitargo? Do you drink, you have a banana? What's, how do you sort of kickstart yourself? So you actually have a good workout.
1: Well, so if you think about it, if you eat a banana, now we know that you have carbohydrate receptors in your mouth, right? I mean, everyone was reading about the the New York times article of the swish and spit of the right carbohydrate. Mm -hmm. mouth rinses during the World Cup. So so we have carbohydrate receptors in our mouth. We have carbohydrate receptors in our stomach. So our brain knows that we have carbohydrate on board and it opens up our ability to fuel our training just by putting carbohydrate in our mouth and, 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 and in our digestive system. However, throughout that workout that banana is still in your stomach i mean unless you're working out for 2 plus hours that banana is still in your stomach so it isn't really fully fueling your training you'll get about a good 15 to 20 minute burst out of it but if you're if you expect to be high intensity at 60 minutes into your workout forget it you're fatiguing you don't have you don't have any fuel on board so that's why if you're a very early morning exerciser and you don't want to get up two hours before and then go back to sleep, using a sports nutrition drink, and my choice is Vitargo, is ideal. I mean, that's what I do. I do a 6 a.m. workout and I get up at, you know, 5.15 (laughs) and I roll out of bed and by about 5.20, I drink my Vitargo and I'm on the road at six and I'm fully fueled. I know it's completely emptied from my stomach. It's in my bloodstream by then because we have all the published data to show it. So that's the other thing about products. Ask for data. Have a high bar for what you're spending money on. Just because they say so, doesn't mean anything prove it you know people in my practice people come in and they are so particular about the food that they buy they know the face of the cow from where the beef came from. They know the name of the farmer that raises their kale. They know they they got their own chickens in their backyard. But then they'll buy any supplement that promises anything. And that just blows my mind. First of all, you want a supplement that is third party laboratory tested. It just because they say they use clean manufacturing processes doesn't mean that it's clean. Anything can can be can be contaminated. I mean, you know, Lucky Charms is full of salmonella. I mean, <laughs> right. whatever the product was, you know, I mean, anything can be contaminated. You want proof. I don't want, you know, sports nutrition products and particularly, so products that are targeted to bodybuilding or muscle building like protein or mass gainers. Products that are targeted to sports in general, products that are targeted for sexual potency, and products that are targeted to weight loss are the highest sort of um, in in risk for drug contamination. So you want to know that a third-party laboratory has certified that what you take is clean. And that means uh, that there is a badge or a seal from one of three labs Banned Substances Control Group or BSCG. And I think, you know, they're the gold standard, they're wonderful. Uh, Dr. Don Catlin started the WADA Drug Testing Laboratory at UCLA way back in the day. And his son now runs BSCG, Banned Substances Control Group, and they do supplement testing. Uh, There is NSF for sport, and there is informed choice for sport. Those three, and it should be on the product that you buy, not just on the website, because each product has to be certified, not just a brand. So... So, you know, there's all kinds of certifications. With Vitargo, we test every batch after manufacturing. So you know that what you get, that batch has been tested and certified after it was manufactured, not this, the ingredients before it went into the vat. So, so that's very important. And also that there is research science that is behind the marketing claims. Anybody can use borrowed or pirated science and say, well, the ingredients that we have have research on them. Well, that's, who knows if you're using either the same ingredient that had the research on it or the efficacious dose that had the research on it. What we want to know is that this product does what it says. And so with Vitargo, we have 11 published clinical research studied in peer-reviewed journals. They are manuscripts. They are not just abstracts. And the research was started at the Karolinska Institute in Sweden, which is where the the same labs where carbohydrate loading uh, was studied, creatine was studied, beta alanine was studied. So it's the real deal. And there are, you know, it's not the only product I use, of course, but I expect science behind the products that I use.
0: Perfect. No, and I think that's huge of actually knowing, like you said, everyone knows where they're nowadays, where their beef and what farm it's coming from and making sure they're clean. But, you know, with supplements, it's sort of a, it's a guessing game. That's a lot of, is really what it is and what works and what doesn't work and what you're doing to your body and not doing to your body.
1: Right. And there are companies that are really you know pulling the industry up by its bootstraps, and I also you know I, I want those companies to to be rewarded for putting their money where their where their mouth is because you don 't have to do any of this to sell your product, and it makes the product more expensive very often it isn 't that expensive to do research, but it 's money that isn 't going into somebody 's pocket so so you do want to reward those companies that have data
0: no that's fascinating i'm sure we could talk for hours and hours and you know we're starting to get into the time limit here um you know if you're to just one one quick question if you were to give advice to a master's athlete nutrition wise that's looking to take that next step what would you tell them
1: so um well first i'd probably suggest that they that they speak to an expert. I mean, there's nothing like getting um, personal guidance, right? I mean, there's all kinds of generalizations out there, but each body is different and the more we learn, the more we learn that people have individualized needs. And so um, that's the number one thing. I think the last gentleman that you did a podcast with when you asked a question, he said, buy that expensive bike, spend the money, you've got it, right? Well, that's how I feel about this why make it up as you go? You've gotten some great trainers. You've done all this. Go find a sports dietitian, uh, or a sports nutritionist who's really a card carrying expert and, and, and sit down and have a consult that is customized to you, your needs and your sport. Um, but in general, um, Make sure that you really do fully fuel your training. The concept of underfueling to drop weight while you are trying to train hard are two competing goals. Decide what your goal is. If your goal is to drop weight, you should do that before your competitive season, ideally. You can do some sculpting, but don't underfuel your training if you're going to decrease calories somewhere do it in the rest of your day not around your fueling that I think of fueling your training as a different silo than feeding your body and so feeding your body is all the nutritious plant-based foods omnivorous diet not restrictive thinking about what you need to eat not what you can't eat next thinking of the abundance that you can feed your body to keep it healthy and strong and then I think about fueling your training which is very science based very targeted very specific to the goal of that training event some days are different than other days. Some days you're working on distance, some days you're working on speed, some days you're working on on you're not even doing that and you're you're in the gym lifting. What's the goal of that training event and fuel it appropriately. As we talked about, some some training events require a high carbohydrate intake. Some training events don't require nearly as many calories or carbs. So, understand the need of that Training event and titrate your fueling accordingly. Always stay hydrated, extremely important. You know everyone kind of forgets about water but it certainly is important and all your fluids count. So, um, so, so look at, at, at your at having a fluid plan as well as a food and a supplement plan. And then lastly, be careful about the supplements that you use. Supplement wisely. Understand that people are just trying to sell you stuff. And um, be um, be skeptical, expect science, um, train yourself uh, in in a little bit of exercise science. Go to the legitimate folks online, or books. You know, in include in, in addition to my book, um, there is a wonderful uh, review of a, a monthly review. Alan Aragon, uh, it's A R A G O N, A L A N, Alan uh, Aragon dot com. Alan is a card carrying nutritionist or registered dietitian, sports nutritionist. Um, and he does a monthly review of research, sports research, sports science, and nutrition that I bet a lot of your audience would enjoy. And so I subscribe to it because it keeps, you know, I get to see, you know, it's a smattering. It's not everything. It's not comprehensive. It's kind of what's hot and new. And um, and I think they would enjoy his research review. So. Um, find these legitimate folks who are giving good information find your own expert and pay for customized advice I think that's probably the smartest thing to do and be careful about when you're overdoing it um, be aware that that exercise can be both a use stress and a distress uh, just like work can be a use stress and a distress and and we think of our exercise as counterbalancing the distress that we have in other parts of our lives. But I have had clients who have made their exercise into their distress as well. So, so maintain that balance in all things. And I think that it can, um, serve us really well, but understand that nutrition is not a quick fix. It's not an easy black and white answer. And, um, and, and, and just think about sort of is someone just selling me a bill of goods or does this sound like it's science-based?
0: Perfect, perfect. No, I think that's some great advice. I should probably uh, hire someone. Maybe I'll reach out to you and hire you to be my <laughs> nutritional consultant. It probably, probably changed my world. Um, I'm, you know, I'm a hack at best. So no, <laughs> that's great stuff. That's great stuff. Um, and in closing, you know, a few, few rapid fire questions. So do you follow any specific diet? Uh, I hate to say diet. Everyone says diet, right? But, or eating lifestyle is probably the more politically correct way to put it.
1: I suppose it's, you know, it's kind of, so the new power eating is a real, has, has sort of for the first time really blended the book that I wrote called the good mood diet, which is the neurobiology of food. And the high end high performance nutrition of power eating and that's really how i eat i i very much fuel my training i focus on my individual training for the day or whatever my event is that i'm going to participate in at the time whether it's going to be you know a long cycle or a or a big hike or a big swim you know whatever i'm going to be doing performing with drums or piano Um, I fuel that as well. I think about that. Um, And I, I, I follow a plant-based diet. So I have a diet rich in, in fruits and vegetables and grains and beans and nuts and seeds. I have, uh, I eat a lot of fish. Um, I'm fortunate to be here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, and I, so I eat a lot of fish. I've never been a big red meat eater, but I will on occasion if someone else cooks it, because I also am not a great cook when it comes to red meat, give me fish and I'm, I'm all over it. Um, and, and chicken. Um, and, and so I'm, uh, you know, I'm an omnivore, but I have a plant rich diet and I just really, I love to eat I love the social interaction of eating and cooking together. It is a it is certainly a focus of our lives through both entertainment as well as personal interaction and um, and so i i don't I'm not a restrictor I don't limit um And I probably, after all these years, it's seamless in my life. That's always my goal for my clients, is at the beginning, you're focused and mindful, and then after that, it should become pretty seamless in your life, that you just know what you do because it makes you feel good. And it's really all about how we feel, not what we weigh. Um, If we feel good, we can do all the things that we wanna do in our day and maintain our healthy relationships and all of that and have the energy to do creative things and read a book or do a podcast. And um, and so it's I, I'm about how food makes me feel and how training makes me feel. Um, and the rest of it follows.
0: Perfect. Perfect. What's your favorite piece of gear or your favorite piece of workout gear? You mentioned that it's always raining. It's raining, or when you get up and work out, it's uh, nice to have not be, have a jacket on. But uh, I'm sure that's not your favorite piece of training gear is your jacket.
1: No, no. Um, you know, gosh, what's my – do I have a favorite? You know, I – I, um, boy, you know, that's that's kind of hard. Do I, you know, I, I do. I love my bike. I, I go out – you know, I'm not picky about – about, you know, it's going to sound funny. I'm not like a lot of your other, um, guests, um, where I'll just like, you know, put my shoes on and go and run whatever I've got on. I, you know, I almost feel like this sounds really stupid, but it's my sunglasses. So <laughs> it's my glasses that I can wear at any time. um, Oh, what's the name of them here?
0: I'm right there with you. I'm all about my glasses. If uh, I if I have crummy ones, I can't wear them. And if I have good ones, I want like 40 pairs of them.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm looking. Oh my God. I can't I can't even I can't find no, them.
0: My favorite glasses are a pair of Smiths that they don't make anymore. And I still try to find here them on it. eBay or somewhere. Okay. And
1: so they're they're the Rudy Project.
0: Okay, perfect.
1: So because they're prescription? And and I just I just love these glasses, and I've 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 gone back and forth um, because I I actually have so you have the contacts, and when I ski I wear my contacts, but um, uh, but the the I can't wear them when I when I ride or I run my eyes get too dry, so I have prescription glasses, and these are just awesome. So that, I think, that's a shout out to Rudy Project. I love my glasses.
0: (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. And what was your workout today?
1: Uh, Today actually was a, a, a hot yoga sculpt class. I don't know if you know Core Power Yoga. And so I love their sculpt class. So that was this morning. So it's like a high-intensity training class in a hot yoga environment. <laughs> so,
0: I love hot yoga. That's my just, favorite thing.
1: Yeah. You, so that,
0: you come back cleaned out and yeah. ready to go. It's yeah. absolutely amazing.
1: I totally. And then this afternoon actually is a is a, a a weight session, or later this evening will be a weight session in the training room. So, so that's my Wednesdays. Um, and then – Tuesday, Thursday morning and Saturday morning, certainly in our weather now, I'm out cycling. Um, or I'm in an indoor, like, you know, in the winter it's indoor and and uh, outdoor in this weather. And, um, and then also often on a Monday, uh, I always do the sculpt sort of Monday, Wednesday, Friday mornings, but then Monday and Friday, I'll go for a run in the late, when it cools down in the late evening, because it stays light here for so long. And then on Sunday, I lift as well.
0: Perfect. Oh, perfect. Well, thank you, Susan. I really appreciate you being part of this. And I think, you know, the information we could have gone on for hours and hours, because it's a fascinating (laughs) thing for me as well. And um, it's probably one of the, you know, most informative and where can anyone find you or any of our guests or our listeners find you? So, you know, they can check out your book or find your website.
1: So, so the, fortunately I am going to update my website for all that you've got so many digital gurus out there. I know they're going to look at my website and go, oh my God, this does look 10 years old. Um, but it is so drskleiner.com. So drskleine com. Uh, is the best way to find to find everything out about me and don't worry it is in in process of being updated
0: <laughs> perfect 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 and then I'm sure they can find you on LinkedIn and everywhere else Oh yeah well.
1: I might right exactly I'm on yep. LinkedIn I'm on Facebook I'm Twitter is, and uh, Instagram is at power eat
0: Perfect, perfect. Oh, so we
1: shouldn't forget about the Vitargo Power Eight 2018. Is that what it is?
0: Yeah, yeah that's what I was just going to say. If anyone wants to try this great product and check it out, twenty percent off their first order um, from Vitargo at Power Eight. 2018. So any que- And I, what I'll do is, again, I will put all that in the, uh, in the intro. So again, Susan, thank you. And anyone who's listening who has any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach out to me at kennedexecutiveathletes.com. And remember, just keep training hard, but after this discussion, make sure you're fueled to train hard.
1: Wonderful. Thanks so much. Great. That was awesome. Thank you.